Okay, so we've been looking at eight questions to ask before I decide to marry. And uh, we, we went through the first three, I think, um, when we were together last time. So if you want to dig out, if you didn't, uh, if, if you forgot to bring your notes and you want to have a, a note-taking guide for the rest of the time, we have some extra ones here. Ushers, uh, could you uh, just lift your hand up? Folks have their hands up. They're looking for note-taking guides. Okay. We can make sure everybody gets one that if you forgot yours. Um, so you can follow along. Eight questions to ask before you decide to marry. Okay, next one, number four. Just wait for a second for people to get caught up. Do we have any more? Are we all out? Where are we at? This guy's got his hand up right here in the middle. He's desperate for one. You're out. Okay. That's, wait a minute. Wait a minute. There you go. Okay. Okay, looking at number four together, okay? Does this decision to marry reflect a lack of contentment in my life? Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. So what Paul is saying here is this. He's saying, and he go, he, if we took more detail from the passage, you would see this. He says, he, he says, are you at peace with who you are today? Circumcised or uncircumcised, for example, he talks about. Slave or free, single or married. He says, look, all of these categories that are there, um, if they become an issue for you so that you don't, you don't have a sense of peace about who you are, he says something has drifted off because you should be able to find in Christ the contentment that you're longing for. You, 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 sometimes you're not going to find it in life. You're not going to find it with the religious places. You're not going to find it in the slave or free issue. You're not going to find it in the single married issue. You, um, you, you know, it's coming to a place of contentment. You know, after years of working with, uh, with, with people, one of the things I discovered was this, this issue of contentment. How many times I found married people who wanted to be single and single people who wanted to be married, but nobody who wanted to be who they were today. Do you want to be who you are today? See, coming to that place where you accept, okay, you know, here's what I am today. I am, I'm single, and I'm, I, I, am, I, I embrace that. I'm not rejecting that. I embrace that. If you look in your notes, it says this. The single myth says, if I become content in my singleness, it is a sign that I will always be single. So there's a, you know, there's a real fear that people get about this issue of contentment in their singleness. That is, if they come to a place where they make peace with who they are today, this is who I am, this is my situation, this is, that if they, if, if they experience that contentment, that they, they, they feel like God is just going to say, okay, well then, you know, they'll just let that person always be single. You know, that's just the way it is. 
they kind of have a picture of God like an old man trying to pick up sticks, you know. And he's out there picking up the sticks. And finally, he reaches a point where he gets so many sticks in his arm that if he reaches down and grabs one more, he drops some of the ones that he has, right? And they, they see God as limited. God can't meet your need and everybody else's need. So if I'm content, that must mean that there's no need for me ever to be married and that I will never be married. But that's not, that's not the truth. The truth is that contentment in your singleness is part of the spiritual gift of singleness. Now, when I say the spiritual gift of singleness, I joke sometimes, I say it's the gift that nobody wants, you know. It's like uh, you can just kind of get this picture, you know, they're, they're, they're encircling somebody and they're laying their hands on them and they're, Lord, we just pray, you know, just release them in the prophetic. Oh, yes, Lord, amen, amen, you know. And, and Lord, we ask for a working of miracle. Yes, Lord, I want your gifts. I want everything you have. And Lord, we ask that you give the gift of singleness. Ah! You know, get your hand off of me. I don't want that gift of singleness. What are you talking about, right? I don't want that. It's like, but what is the gift of singleness? People think that the gift of singleness means that you're receiving a gift that makes it so that you're never going to be married in your whole life. That's not what the gift of singleness is. The gift of singleness is the gift of the grace of God that enables you to be content and to be fulfilled in the season of life you are in. That's the gift of singleness. It's God's enabling you that during this season of life, you're going to be able to walk with victory. You're going to be able to walk in holiness. You're going to be able to walk in your commitment before God. You're going to be able to be a man or woman of God. It's a gift of the grace of God that enables you to be who you are today with contentment. That, okay, I get it. And it doesn't mean you're making a permanent commitment to be single. It just means that you're embracing today. You're embracing life where it is today, who you are today, what's happening today. You're embracing that and you're saying, you know what? I am going to get everything that I need to live fully for Jesus Christ today. How about you? Are you want, do you want that? See, that's what, that's what the gift of singleness is. It's not a, it's not a gift um, that, that says you're never going to get married. See, that's what people are afraid of. You can have the gift of singleness and then end up getting married. It doesn't, it's not a permanent commitment. It's the gift of the grace of God that enables you to live victoriously as who you are today. You know, um, there are many gifts, spiritual gifts, that are never talked about in the Bible. I, like, for example, I think there's a gift of marriage. What's the gift of marriage? It's the gift of the grace of God that enables you to live victoriously as a married person, right? See, when you're laying in bed and some little three-year-old is coming, sticking pin peanut butter fingers in your eyes as you're laying there and you're, you're you know, you're just thinking, oh my God, what's going, you know, what do you have? You got the, you got the, you, you know, if you're going to be content in that season of your life, you have got to say, okay, I need the gift of marriage, right? And that, that's what it is. It's a gift of God. Every time, every situation you get in, I need the gift that is going to enable me to live this season of my life. Anything in you that's, that's fighting to, 
kind of put life off, to kind of say, okay, you know, life begins when I meet Mr. Wright or Miss Wright, or life begins when I have a relationship. Life begins, you know, then I really, until then, I'm not really a grown-up, you know. I'm not really, you know, some of the people who have made the greatest impact in the world did it while they were single people. I'm telling you right now, and, and, and I'm talking about impact for Christ, too. They did it during their season of singleness. They got a hold of something during their season of singleness that enabled them to give themselves wholeheartedly to the things of God, to just go after it with everything that they had. And in that season, they were able to accomplish things very, very powerful uh, in the world that affected really the whole rest of their lives and the whole rest of our lives. So what does the singles myth say? If I become content in my singleness, it's a sign that I will always be single. But what's the truth? Contentment is a sign of a surrendered life and a commitment to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Okay? That's, what, that's the truth. Contentment is not a sign that I'm locked into a certain uh, place of life. It's, it's the realization that I have found myself in Christ in such a way that I do not have to be driven. If I have money or don't have money, if I, if I have position or don't have position, if I have marriage or don't have marriage, if I'm slave or free, all, you know, it's what, see, what we're talking about here is what Paul was talking about. When you read in the book of Acts, he stands before some king who's uh, uh, interviewing him, and uh, the king says to him something like this. He says, he, says, um, he says, Paul, he says, if you continue to speak, he said, I- I'm going to end up believing like you. And, and, and Paul says, he says, I would that everybody were here were like me, but for these chains. He says, but for... See, Paul had something that he looked at. He looked at kings. He looked at rulers. He looked at everyone. He said, I wish you were all like me, but for these chains. He had found something that chains could not lock up. Are you with me? He had found something that singleness cannot lock up, that marriage cannot lock up, that riches cannot lock up, that poverty cannot lock up. I've got something happening inside of me. All of us are going to have chains at different seasons, things that, we're, that we're, we have to deal limitations, issues that we have to deal with. But the reality is you can find something in God, this gift of God's grace that can enable you to be content in this season of your life, to take it and to embrace it and to say, hey, you know, marriage is great, uh, singleness is great, I just want to be right in the middle of what God wants for me right now. And if right now I'm, I don't have a relationship, I don't have something going on, I'm not putting my life on hold. I'm going to continue to use my life to make an impact for Jesus Christ. Okay, number five. Are the circumstances such that marriage is the right decision at this time? 1 Corinthians 7.26 says, because of the present crisis, Paul's talking. He's saying, look, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. So what he's saying is there is something going on in the environment, the circumstances, the situation that they're in. He's saying that I'm, I, my, my response right now is marriage maybe isn't the best move for you right at this moment. There are things happening. There are things going on in the, situ, in the situation. Because of this present crisis, 
Okay, here's the singles myth. Now is the time to be married. Now is the day of salvation. Second Mike 2.2, 2, okay? That's the, that's the singles myth. Now, you know, you, 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 if I got a chance to do that, I need to do this right now. I need to go after this right now. I need to pursue this thing right now. But here's the truth. Waiting is often the best decision. Waiting is often the best decision. That is just, just saying, okay, I'm, I'm not like shutting the door, but I don't have to be, I'm not under any pressure that I have to make something happen, that something has got, got to go on here. Um, let me give you some thoughts about when waiting might be a good decision. Now, I'm not saying don't. I'm saying wait. Give it a break. When might waiting be a good decision? Here's, here's one time. When parents disagree. Okay, when you, you know, one of the things you have to realize when you get married is not just two individuals getting married, it's two families getting married. And you've got to come to a place where you, you, uh, you appreciate and you, you, you recognize what's happening. Because when, when these, it, there's a merging going on here in this situation. I, I've told you the story before um, about... Uh, uh, a couple where the, the guy went down to visit the, the uh, girl's parents and got totally rejected. And he came back filled with anger and he said, I'm going to do this thing no matter what. I don't, you know, I don't care what they think. She's agreeing with me and we're just going to get married. And if they don't want to be there, they don't have to be there. That's a great way for a marriage to start, right? With the parents totally rejecting everything that's going on and stuff like that. And I urged him at the time, I said, I said just put this thing just wait. I said, give it a year. I'm not saying don't get married. I'm saying, but give yourself some time to win these people over. And, uh, and sure enough, they, they gave it a year uh, after some wrestling, and, uh, and, and, they, and, they, and they eventually won the parents over, and everything you know, worked out good. I remember my own son, uh, Todd, uh, he... he uh, he had a girlfriend that he had uh, connected with. He really, really liked this girl. He really liked this girl. But in our family, we had, for a long time, we just, you know, had really believed. You know, you know, you got to come to a place where you, how, how can God speak to you if your hearing gets messed up? See, if the only person you trust to hear from God is you, that's the only person, then if you get messed up, your whole life is off the wall. Everything gets distorted. So you have to have some other people in your life that you say, you know what, if this person doesn't see it the way I see it, at the minimum, I'm going to put this thing on hold. Maybe I won't change direction. Maybe I won't. But if they're strongly saying to me for this thing not to move forward, at the minimum, I've got to wait because I've got to honor the fact that these people are not seeing it the way I'm seeing it. And I've got to recognize the fact that maybe it's possible I'm not seeing clearly, right? Maybe it's possible. And this is what happened with Todd. So Todd has got this girl. She's a beautiful girl. I mean, we had her come be with us on trips and connections. Just a great, very nice person. But each of the people in our nuclear family, you know, myself, his mom, his 
to his brother and his sister, they all had reservations. They all said, I think there's something just not quite there, just not quite right. And so each, I didn't actually even say anything. Each of the other ones spoke to him about this. And he took this thing seriously. And uh, he finally, he, he, he came, there was no pressure or anything, just people were just telling him, we've got to check about this. It's, you know, maybe it's timing, maybe it's, but the, just, we just, and so he, he, he waited for a little bit, sought the Lord, and finally he just came back. He said, I really like her, he said, but I cannot believe that my mother, my brother, my sister, my father, they all don't feel good about it, and I'm hearing clearly, and everybody else is hearing wrong. There's a humility there, isn't there? When you get into a situation where you look at everybody else and you will say, they're all hearing wrong, I'm the only one hearing clearly, I'm telling you right now, you are on thin ice. And so he, he decided, he said, okay, I'm just going gonna, I'm gonna, uh, to lay it down. I'm going to give it up. And he gave up the relationship. And, uh, you know, it was, it was like, well, it was almost two years went by. So he's got this relationship, you know, he lays it down. Almost two years goes by. I'm praying, I'm going, God, you know, did we screw it all up here? You know, mess up his, you know, because he's not, he's not like going out and finding somebody else and going serial relationship to relationship to relationship, trying to fill some hole in his life. He's not doing that. He's just, he's gone out now and for almost two years, and, uh, and then I can remember the day when he met Elizabeth. And uh, he, I remember he called me and he said, uh, he said, Dad, he said, I, I met this, this girl. He said, and she's just, I just really am impressed. He said, and I said, well, what did you do? You know, he said, well, I asked her out for coffee. And I said, Todd, you don't even drink coffee. He said, I know, I know, but it was the only thing I knew to do, you know. <laughs> And now, five, five children later, uh, when, when you have them twins, they come fast. And, and uh, you know, so, so it was a very powerful thing that happened. So what, what, what am I saying to you is waiting, there was no question, was the best decision in this circumstance, in the situation. Now I look at Elizabeth, she's just an absolute treasure. I can tell you another situation that might cause you to wait is when you're dealing with someone who has a life addiction. Again, I'm not saying no. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm just saying it might cause you to pause. I remember one Sunday, actually, I was in this building. It was when the church was in this building. And uh, at the end of the service, a woman comes up to me. It was right over here in this side of the room. A woman comes up to me. I was you know, pastoring. And, and uh, she says, Pastor, Pastor, did you hear? I'm getting married next week. And, you know, I see her every Sunday. I never saw a guy with her. I never, you know. And so I said, uh, I said, really? You're getting married? Well, who are you getting married to? You know, I never, I don't think I've ever met him. And she said, yeah, yeah, he's been in prison. And he's getting out, and we're going to get married. Like, I mean, like, he's getting out, and we're going to get married, literally. You know, he's getting out, and we're going to get married. Not like he's getting out, and we're going to, you know. He's getting out, and we're going to get married. And I'm saying, so you're going to, like, marry him as soon as he comes out of prison. Yes, it's so exciting. You know, it's so exciting. And, you know, a lot of times people tell you things when you're a pastor. You'll learn this because many of you are going to be in this kind of role. That, that you, 
you can't, you know, so, sometimes somebody is telling you something because they want your input. Somebody, times somebody is just telling you because they want to check the box off saying they talked to the pastor. Okay? And I did not feel that this woman wanted my input. She was just telling me. You know, because if she had wanted my input, there had been all kinds of time for her to come and mention that she was dating a prisoner and that she was planning on marrying him in a, you know, in a, when he got out of prison. So I, she didn't really want my input. But, and most of the time when that happens, I just keep my mouth shut, to be honest with you. I just go, oh, okay, okay, good, good, you know. You didn't, you didn't really want my opinion anyway, but, you know, so okay, 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 okay. But sometimes things are so whacked out, you just feel like you got to say something, right? You know, I am the pastor, right? And I just said, I just looked at her and I said, you know, with, you know, how did he, you know, how did he get in prison? You know, what was the situation? You know, well, he stole some stuff and, and different things and he was a drug addict and, you know, and this was how he ended up, you know, getting in prison. I, okay, okay, okay. I said, you know, when someone's been a drug addict, you might want to just give them a little time when they get out, you know, just a little time for them to walk in some measure of victory. Are you with me? It might be a good idea. Okay, uh, some other reasons not to wait for the, uh, for, for, or excuse me, some other reasons to wait, why waiting as often as the best decision could be lack of peace, it could be the, the spiritual leaders that are in your life are in strong disagreement of the direction you're going in. And, um, you know, uh, I, I'm just telling you right now, when, when these people who are in your life, who care about you, who love you, when they start signaling something, you know, whoa, it's better for you to just, you, know, you don't have to say, I'm not, I'm not going to get married, but for you to slow things down and just give Give the thing a little chance to unfold. And, uh, you know, sometimes what, what will happen is the people, the people who are trying to slow you down, they'll become convinced you're on the right path. Sometimes what will happen is you'll wake up and go, whoa, what was I? I was like I was drugged or something. I couldn't see what was going on. And now I see clearly. Okay, number six. Does this decision to marry give Jesus Christ and his service first place in my life? 1 Corinthians 7.35, it says this, I'm saying this for your own good, not to put a restriction upon you. This is, what, this is what Paul has been, he said, all these different things I've said to you about singleness. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. He's trying to get you to live in undivided devotion to the Lord. He's trying to get you to measure your decisions, even about marriage, by asking the question, will this cause my life to be more devoted, more powerful, more committed to the things of God, or will it pull me away from the things of God? Singles myth. The will of God is something I do while I'm on the way to doing the things I want to do, like getting married. Right? That's the way some people will, uh, you know, live their lives. The, the will of God, see, it's like, I'm, I've got my will, and my will is the goal. And as I'm going after what I want, if I can do little things for God along the way, awesome. 
You want me to, you know, do a little of this here, help out, give a little money, you know, this kind of stuff, that's fine. But I'm going where I want to go. There's a difference between living like that and living your life where you go, where I'm going is where God wants me to go. And as I'm going where God wants me to go, if a relationship can help make that happen, I'm open to that. If there, this thing can happen, I'm open to that. But I have a destiny. I'm going where God, you know, and so you have to see any opportunity for marriage that you have in light of your calling, your destiny, your purpose. Is this thing enhancing me or is it pulling me away? I, I think one of our first days we talked about this. I said to you, I said, look, look, there are many relationships that the two are not better than one. Right. Remember me saying that? That matter of fact, what happens is you get two people together and they're not worth as as much as any, either one of them would have been by themselves. They actually take away from each other's capacity, right? So you gotta, you got to be able to, you got to answer that, that question. Okay, does this decision to marry give Jesus Christ and his service first place in my life? The singles truth said, says, as I seek to fulfill God's will, first, he will provide for all of my needs. If I put him first, he will take care of my relational needs, my emotional needs, my sexual needs, my whatever. If I put him first and trust him, he will put that together for me. Okay, number seven. Am I prepared to enter into the union of marriage for life? For life. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. Okay? A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. My wife and I, you know, when we were coming into our marriage, both of us had come from families, divorced families. And uh, as we were coming into our relationship, we said, look, everything else, the one thing is this. If we make this commitment, we are not going to back away from this. Separation is not a possibility. A lifetime of misery, yes, that is a possibility. But separating from each other is not a possibility. We are committed to each other right through to the end. The singles myth says love will make our marriage last. That's an absolute fantasy. Love will make our marriage last. The singles truth is this. Commitment, a promise, is the only glue that keeps a marriage together for the long haul. Romantic love will rise and fall, but agape love is rooted in commitment. Uh, romantic love, you know, you know, one of the things you got to realize when you get married, and it's very difficult for you to, for you to get a hold of this, but I'm going to try to provoke your mind a little bit. So you marry somebody, right? I married my wife. I was 23 years old. Okay? I'm 64 years old today. When my wife got married, I think she was 20, and you can do the math there. 40-something years we've been married, right? Most of you have not lived half of that long, right? 20 years would be, a, it would be pretty good. 40-something years. 
Listen, the man my wife married, I don't know where he is, but he's not here anymore. Over 40-something years, I have changed in innumerable ways. Right? We change physically, right? You, you, you know, uh, uh, a woman says, oh, I love to rub my, hand, my hands through your hair. And then one day she rubs, there's no hair, right? <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is reality. You gotta, I'm, I'm trying to help you, help you get a hold of something here right now. The person you are marrying today is not the person you're going to be married to 40 years from now. So you might look at that person you're married today, oh, I love them. You know, oh, they're just perfect. Oh, she's like, wow, you know, just, I just think they're the greatest ever, right? But that, that's great. I'm glad that's going to be great to get you started. But that is not where it ends, right? Things change. Everything changes. Your attitude changes. And this is, this is just normal changes. We're not talking about through sickness and health. We're not talking about uh, uh, financial ups and downs. We're not I'm just talking about just, uh, as a human being, opinions and feelings that I had when I was 23. I don't have now. I have a different viewpoint, different perspectives. I am a different person today than the person my wife married. And over that 40 years, we've, we've had some good times, some great times, We've had some times that I'm sure she looked at me and thought, it's only the promise keeping me in this thing right now. Right? That she was just fed up. But the promise held. And an amazing thing happens when you go through these dark times in your relationship where you just think to yourself, this is nothing like what I signed up for, and this person is nothing like the person I married. And, and I'm, as you go through these dark times... And you hold on to the promise. You, it's like you break through and you come to another level. Another level of love, right? Another level of care. Another level of commitment. It's like you break through. In th everything changes. Everything, I mean, even sex changes. Everything changes as you age, right? As this time goes on. And so this is why I say to you, the only glue that will hold your marriage together is not the glue of what you're feeling in a moment. Those feelings are going to change and adjust as time goes on. There are going to be seasons that, you know, when they're going my way, I'm great to take advantage of it. I love it. But there are going to be seasons when they're not going your way. And the thing that holds you in that relationship is commitment, is that you made a promise. Am I prepared to enter into the union of marriage for life? And then number five, or excuse me, number eight, the final one, am I marrying a believer? A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must what? Belong to the Lord. And listen, I have heard every justification on this. You know, here's the myth. God has led me to a person that though they are not a Christian and have some habits that are not pleasing to God, 
I believe they will change after we are married. Okay? This is like, you know, we used to call it missionary dating. You know, where you date somebody with the hope of changing them. You know, they got so many other good qualities that you really like, you're going to just date them until, uh, you know, until you can kind of convert them kind of thing. Now, there are stories where, people, where that's happened, and it's been a beautiful it's been a beautiful thing, but I could tell you, I could, we could pave the road out of town with the lives that have been destroyed by people going into a relationship and into a marriage with that kind of thinking, somehow that they were going to change that person. Here's the myth. Why would God lead, or excuse me, the truth. Why would God lead you to someone who violates his clear biblical standard for your life? Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do unrighteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Or how about this one from Deuteronomy? Furthermore, you will not intermarry with them, and you shall not give your daughters to their sons, and you shall not take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will quickly destroy you. Okay, let me just end with this story. So, I'm in Oswego, New York. Uh, it's the first place I went after Elam. I'm up there, uh, associate pastor. It's where we started basic college ministry and stuff like that. And the church started to grow, started to get filled with young adults. And uh, there was this one young adult woman, just awesome gal. She was just like, she was one of these people who was so vibrant. And, you know, when you were preaching, she was always so affirming. And, and she, she just had an enthusiasm and an energy for the Lord. It was just powerful. And was why it was so, much, so evident when all at once something happened to her. And she just seemed, she just got, I don't, I don't know how to describe it. She just got deflated. She just got downed. And, uh, and so after a little while, I went to her and I said, uh, I said, what's going on in your life? I said, you don't seem like the same person. You don't seem like you have the same joy or enthusiasm or, you know, what's happening? And she said, well, can I make an appointment with you to talk with you? And I said, sure. So we got together and she said to me, she said, uh, she said, there's this guy in church. She said, I've just gotten my brain so filled up with him and uh, we don't have any kind of a relationship and it's just it's just messing me up it's messing up my thinking and uh, so I, so I questioned her a little more and I realized that it's not like I'm hanging out with Billy and our relationship is not progressing the way I hope she doesn't even know the guy it's like a guy that sits on the other side of the building that she's never really even had a serious conversation with, but she has gotten it all built up in her mind, and uh, she is like totally derailed, totally discouraged. And so, you know, I didn't even know how to pray for her. You know, Lord, I ask you to help this relationship that really isn't a relationship because she's never actually talked to the guy, you know. But I didn't know what to do, you know. And so I gave her some kind of like, you know, take two verses and call me in the morning, you know, kind of response. And uh, she left. So it was about two or three weeks later. I'm walking in downtown Oswego. And uh, 
And I see her down the street. And from a distance, I can look at her and I can, I can say something has happened. She totally, her, her walk, her whole manner, her whole spirit, her, she's she just lifted. So I go up to her. I walk up to her, and I, you know, I take her hand. I shake her. Hey, how you doing? I said, what happened? Did he talk to you? You know, did something happen? You know, because I'm thinking she, she connected with this guy. And she says to me, she says, no. She says, that's not what happened. And I said, well, what happened? She said, well, what happened was this. She said, it was really amazing. She said, she said a, a week or so ago, I was running. Uh, um, Oswego was right on Lake Ontario. And there's also an old military Revolutionary War fort that is built right on Lake Ontario, right there. And she said, I was out jogging by the fort. She said, and as I was running by, I looked in, and there was an old military graveyard in the fort. And in the middle of the graveyard was this large, rough-hewn wooden cross. And she said, I was running by, and I looked in, and I saw that cross she said, and I turned, and I ran into the graveyard. I ran up to that cross, and she said, I knew what I had to do. And she said, I, I knelt down there at the foot of the cross, and I, she said, I dug a hole with my fingers, pulling out the grass and the dirt. She said, I, I dug a hole, and then she said, and then I took into my hands, she said, the dream of that relationship. And not just the dream of that relationship, she said, but my whole thing I had built up around marriage. You know, I had, had this whole fantasy, this whole thing. She said, I took the dream of all my hopes, everything that was there, she said, and I put it into the hole. I put the dirt back in. I put the grass back on. And she said, and I got up and I, I ran away. She said, I left it at the foot of the cross, Pastor Mike, and that's why. She said, it's not, it's not tearing me down anymore. Now, the story has an interesting ending to it because about a year later, the church was sending a team of people on a missions trip to Mexico. And she signed up for this team. And without her knowing it, this guy also signed up for this team. There were about eight of them in a van driving all the way from upstate New York to Mexico and back again. Okay, so sometime while they're ministering down in Mexico, they were there for three, four weeks, while they're ministering in Mexico, sometime the guy looks across the van and it's like, the one, you know. <laughs> the one, you know, the one. And they end up coming back, forming a relationship, and amazingly end up getting married and are married to this day. Now, I always hesitate to tell that story for the fear that the next time I go to Oswego and I go by that little graveyard, there'll be little holes all over the graveyard <laughs> with little Elam signs, you know, you know, little holes all over the graveyard, you know, where people, because the, the point I'm trying to make is not, is not bury your dream. The point I'm trying to make to you is seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You just got to trust. You got to just put the Lord first. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you.
to you. Let's just bow our heads and our hearts. Can we do that? Some of you that are here today, you may have a certain set of expectations and dreams as it relates to getting married. And the Lord is asking you today to leave it at the foot of the cross. It may not be a specific person. It may just be a way that you've always thought it was going to be and the way it was always going to happen and how it would all come together and all this kind of thing. And you, you just need to give God room to do what he wants to do in the way he wants to do it. You've got to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, trusting that all that you need will be supplied, will be added to you. And I just want to ask you right now, if you identify with what I'm talking about, just cup your hands like that girl did right in front of you right now and just put into your hands that dream of that hoped-for relationship. And then just put it into the ground and bury it and leave it behind. God has something so amazing, so wonderful, so powerful for you. You could never, you could never anticipate it. If you'll just trust him, let him put it together for you. Lord, right now we just have done it. We've just laid it down before you. We've just given you We've given you charge. And we say to you, Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, you are more costly than gold. Lord, nothing I desire compares with you. Nothing I desire compares with you. I give you first place in my life to do it your way. I trust you, Lord. I trust you. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody.